not what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. The best place for Columbia College news. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. Covering the stories Chicagoans care about. They are calling for one Chicago. Shut down, make sure it's right. This is Chronicle Headlines. Welcome in, everybody, and I'm your host, Blaze Mesa. I'm joined today by Madison Keller, Michael Rundle, and Ariana Portalatin, who will be joining me later in the show to discuss their stories. But first, McDonald's has announced the launch of their trial program, Youth Opportunity, which will donate $1 million in grant funding to local communities, along with $1 million in grant money to Skills for Chicagoland's Future, an organization that helps companies hire qualified employees. The goal is to develop a new apprenticeship program with City Colleges of Chicago. The donations are going towards helping students with pre-employment job readiness training, employment opportunities, and workplace developmental programs, including resume building. Rashad Jefferson, history department lead and ninth grade civics teacher at Butler College Prep, said this about the initiative. The, I would have to say the vast majority of the students that I work with uh, have uh, minimal knowledge on resume building. Jefferson noted, when given the opportunity, students can shine. If you provide students with the opportunity to do better, nine times out of ten they're going to take advantage of that opportunity. The program plans to expand worldwide, but is beginning on a trial basis in Chicago. Next, the Student Government Association is setting goals for the 2018-2019 academic year. Those goals include more senators. The more senators we have, the more initiatives we're able to put out because the funding is linked to the senator. It's not linked to SGA as a whole. That was sophomore film major and executive vice president of communications, Simone Heim. Heim also hoped to revamp the SGA's social media accounts. How can we cater that social media to our students so that they can look at it and say, that's my school. Without further ado, Columbia College, our and president and CEO, Dr. Kwong Woo Kim. Now over to our top story. Thank you, everyone. New students, welcome to Columbia. So I hope you're all excited. Uh, we spend a lot of time and energy getting ready for this for the beginning of the school year, so it's great to see all of you out here. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time. I have basically two, two things I wanna tell you today that I'd like you to think about. So the first, the first is, in this, it's an, almost an assignment that I'd like to give you, but it's an imagination assignment. Even though you haven't started classes yet, I actually want you to spend just a little bit of time imagining the day you graduate from Columbia College Chicago. So two things, one, you know, you're gonna be walking across the stage to me and I'm gonna be shaking your hand. So first thing, take as much time as you need, but don't take too long to graduate because I'm getting older by the minute, all right? So that's the first thing. But the more important thing, the more important reason I want you to think about this is if you can already imagine yourself graduating, think about what are the experiences, who are the people, what, what is it that you want to fill up these years with here at Columbia. In other words, I want you to already begin thinking about how you are going to take advantage of all of the opportunities that this school has for you. I want you to really be active about meeting new people, having conversations about new ideas, exploring the campus, and exploring the city. 
the other thing I want you to really be at, I want you to own your Columbia College experience. So, if you need something, if you have a question, you have to speak up. Get used to that. It's not that we don't care, but we may not know. All right? So be active, be proactive, be bold. That's why you came to this school in the first place. So that's the first thing. The second thing is something a little bit more global. So I think one of your primary challenges as young people right now is the way the world is around us. There are a lot, there's just a lot of hatred in the world right now. There is a lot of targeting of people because of who they are. There is a lot of outright racism and discrimination in the, in the world. Here's what I want you to leave today remembering. Not at Columbia. At this school, because we are a school, we honor freedom of speech. We want you all to have the full range of opportunity to express your ideas, your beliefs, and who you are. But hate speech, targeting people based on identity is not a part of what this school is about, and it will not be tolerated. So I want you to keep that in the back of your head as you explore this place. All right, that's really it for me today. Have a great time, enjoy the day, enjoy the beautiful weather, and I hope you're all looking forward to the first day of classes next week. Once again, welcome to Columbia, guys. Those were the sounds from Convocation over the past week. Always a lot of fun. Always a speech from Dr. Kim that's always a, a good listen to. But uh, now it's time to shift gears. Joining me in the studio is the editor-in-chief of the Columbia Chronicle, Ariana Portolatin. How's it going, Ariana? I'm good. How are you? Um, well, I am good. And uh, I, you wrote a feature this week that's got really... Uh, it's got a lot of punchy quotes in there, so to speak. Um, what is your feature about? Let's get the ball rolling that way. Yeah, so my feature is basically about the state of Columbia in 1968 and what it was like to be a faculty member and to be a student and just a part of the Columbia community during that year. So what was the inspiration behind this feature? Was the I know it's the 50th anniversary from 1968, now 2018. Was that the inspiration or was there more behind it? So there was more behind it. I actually didn't figure out that it was the 50th anniversary since 1968 till after I thought of the idea. Um, I thought of the idea because during the spring 2018 semester, I was taking two courses. One was a online history of television course, and the other was a Vietnam history course. And both of those classes touched a lot on 1968, just because there was a lot going on in that year that obviously the Vietnam War um, but that also had a large impact on television. So there was a good couple of weeks where I was just learning constantly about that year. And so I was obviously thinking about it a lot as I was trying to complete my assignments. And um, one day I was just sitting in class and thought, I wonder what it was like to be at Columbia during that year. And wouldn't you know it, you, you got a whole feature on it. So it was that, that intersection between learning a lot about Vietnam and then putting two and two together. There were a lot of, you know, I, I guess without sounding um, underselling, a lot of interesting events that happened in 1968. And I was going through your story. I was giving it a look, and we got bayonets in people's faces. We have protests and and, and all that stuff. When When you were conducting these interviews, when you were with these people and you were listening to the stories they were telling, what was going through your mind? 
I was pretty surprised with how much the community was involved during this year. And it was really interesting to hear all of, you know, these people's stories and what actually happened during that year and how they got involved. It's amazing to see how socially engaged Columbia has always been. I don't think people realize that being the you know, being a typical Columbia student, you know, being the author of our times is not something new. It actually originated from this year. So that was really interesting. And it was just fascinating to hear these people's stories. Yeah. So uh, when you talk about the engagement between Columbia and and the things that are going on, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had at least, I don't want, I think the Something about the the president then, Mike Alexandrov, was that his name? Yes. Yeah, Mike Alexandrov at the time, was he, I don't want to say encouraging going out um, and protesting, but he wasn't in favor of the Vietnam War or anything like that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that was one of the questions I asked was whether or not he did encourage and say, you know, oh, students should be protesting these things. I think he was more encouraging students to be involved in what was happening socially and in the community, whether that was protesting in favor or against any particular thing. And obviously without revealing too much of the story, because if you are listening, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com to find it or pick up one of our print editions. But um, the school, did they close down a day in support of the Kent State protests? Or what was the, the story behind that? So I can't remember if it was a day or a couple days or a week, but they did shut down the college at one point. Um, according to one of my sources, um, to support the Kent State University students. Um, The president at that time, Mike Alexandrov, did want to do something, but he wanted to leave it up to the students. So he held a meeting with the campus community, and the students said that they wanted to show support for the students at Kent State. So he decided to shut down the college and not hold any penalties against people who participated. And then um, at least looking at the people you spoke with, you spoke with, um, I think one of them was, I'm trying to remember his exact title, but he was on, he was actually on standby for the protests during the, the DNC protests in 1968. Is that correct? Yeah, that is Thomas Noraki. I believe he is, if I'm remembering correctly, a an associate professor in the English and Creative Writing Department. So when, when he was, you know, on standby, um, I guess, what was his, his role in all that? Um, how close did he get to going in, if, if you're aware? But, uh, you know, how does he play into the story? So I think he was pretty close to uh, being deployed to Chicago for riot control. Um, so I don't think this is in my story, but in the interview, he said that he originally joined the military to do aviation, and that was his goal. Um, and he joined because they said that that was something he would be able to do. So he had no plans of and didn't expect to be trained in riot control, but that's just what ended up happening. So he was in North Carolina during this time and during the DNC protest, and he got trained for riot control and was just waiting to be called in, basically. But he's thankful and happy that he didn't have to. Yeah, and I know at least with him, he had the the duality where he wasn't 100% in support of the Vietnam War and sided more with the protesters, but there he was in riot gear, maybe in riot gear, but there he was being trained for riot control and and telling them, you know, if something happens, you're going to have to stop them, whether you agree with it or not. So 
a lot of a lot of interesting reads, a lot of interesting angles there. But we've only got a couple minutes left here with you. Um, is there anything else you want to get across about your story? Um, I think it's just really interesting to look at the college's history and see what exactly we came from and how we got to this point. And that's in any as- aspect, whether it's student protests or, you know, really anything. Um, yeah, it, it was just really interesting to listen to my sources tell their stories. Yeah, and then you can again pick that up in any of the newsstands around the city. It is directly in the center of the paper. It is the feature spread. Or you can go online to ColumbiaChronicle.com and give it a look. Ariana, always a pleasure. Hope to speak with you again in the future. Thanks for having me. From bayonets to fat cats, after an image of Bruno the cat went viral, it's opened the door to the conversation on unconventional adoptions. Here with me is the reporter who took that story. We have Madison Keller in the studio. How you doing today? Good. How are you, Blaze? No, I'm doing good. I'm talking about cats. Was just talking about bayonets. So it's a real duality of the worlds here. But I guess uh, just a little bit. What was your story about this week? So I originally wanted to write a story about Bruno the fat cat who went viral. He's 25 pounds and stands on his hind legs. But I couldn't get into contact with contact contact with him. So I decided to write my story about unconventional adoptions because he is a great example of that. Yeah, When we talk about uh, unconventional adoptions, I know in your story there was uh, someone by the name of Angelica Steinijeska, if I'm saying that correctly. She's the founder and director of the Chicago Animal Advocates, and she talked about, I don't want to say posing animals, but uh, Bruno the fat cat was on his back legs, and she noted that when you have an unconventional adoption, sometimes it is important to highlight what makes them unique? So with Bruno, it's on the back legs. For someone else, it could be something different. Did that did that surprise you? Because it kind of surprised me. Yeah, it did. So now that social media is such a presence, um, it can be really used to help get animals that are unconventional out there like Bruno because um, using pictures and videos really helps to express their true personality. Yeah, and then uh, diving a little bit deeper into that social media angle, Jillian uh, Pawkistis, if I'm saying that correctly as well, it, it, she uh, has some experience rescuing dogs, and she's from Logan Square, so that Bruno may not have been adopted if that picture had not gone viral. That, okay, that didn't surprise me because these unconventional adoptions may not be as popular, so to speak, but we do have some audio from her, so let's take a listen. I think social media has lent a huge hand into helping us um, expose how wonderful these animals are and that there is nothing, in fact, wrong with them. Yeah, so the, we had social media helping Bruno get um, adopted, so to speak. It was definitely a big aid to him. But how did you go from seeing a picture of Bruno on social media and the, the firestorm that followed to deciding to write a story on unconventional adoptions? Well, after doing my research and talking to um, rescues and shelters, I really got the idea that Social media is really the key to getting these animals adopted. When they're in shelters, they can't really show their personalities and they're kind of timid and scared and don't always look very healthy. But um, using social media helps to get that personality out of them. Yeah, so I know at least I adopted from a shelter. It wasn't an unconventional adoption. It was an Irish setter, so that's a pretty standard dog. But um, did you talk to people who did adopt uh, unconventionally, so to speak? Yeah, so I talked to Jillian Poxtis. She adopted um, two pit bulls from a shelter. Um, they were actually put into foster homes after they 
were put into the shelter, and um, they and they were pretty abused and neglected before they came into her hands. Um, she. So uh, what? It, she had two adoptions. Right? What were their names? Um, so she adopted two pit bulls, Finnegan and Poe. Poe was talked about a lot in my story. Poe um, was 10 years old when she began being fostered by Jillian, and she was not expected to live for six to eight months after she was fostered. But she is now 17 and has been Jillian's companion for the past six years. Oh, dang. So she, has, so she had about six months to live, and now she's been living for about six years after and then uh, you mentioned Finnegan. I know he's not too much in your story, but if you want to briefly, if also a pit bull, is Finnegan a pit bull? Yes. So all of her dogs are pit bulls. She adopted two and her boyfriend owns one. Um, all of them are pretty unconventional. Finnegan had burns all over him um, when she first got him. Poe was obviously older and Penny, her boyfriend's dog, was actually um, a free pit bull that was going to be given away that usually are put into um, dog fights. Yeah, so you mentioned that uh, at least with Poe, they've been companions for at least six years now. So what has her experience been w- with these dogs, so to speak? So with Poe, like I said, she only had six to eight months to live. But once Jillian started working with her more, um, she started showing more of her personality and really has shown a lot of gratitude for Jillian and has been able to live a lot longer because of the life she's given her. Yeah, and then we do have uh, one final clip from Jillian. We were able to get uh, her to sit down and speak with us. So she was actually able to talk about, I don't want to say uh, the process that it is like um, I'm adopting unconventionally, but uh, you can take a listen to the clip. It's going to be a continued uphill battle until people start adopting and considering that they can actually find their best friend at the local shelter or through local rescues. Yeah, so approximately 1.5 million shelter animals are euthanized each year, and that includes dogs and cats. So it's really important to start going to shelters to look for your pets. Um, Jillian really expresses the importance of this as long as, as well as fostering because getting those animals out of the shelters is really saving their lives. Yeah, and that 1.5 million number is according to the ASPCA. We've only got a couple minutes left here before I'm going to have to move on. So, you know, she talked about it being an uphill battle, but uh, with social media, is that, you know, grabbing people's attentions and at least alerting them to um, the potential uh, adoption of availabilities they have? Yeah, so um, social media has been shown to really work a lot better than what used to happen um, when people would just go into shelters. So pictures can show pit bulls smiling, um, black cats on, hot pink blankets, and it just really helps to get that animal um, out there. There's nothing I like more than uh, dogs and cats in unconventional places, especially happy dogs and cats. But uh, unfortunately, we only have 30 minutes on this show, so we can't talk about dogs and cats forever. But uh, thanks for coming on today, Madison. I hope to speak with you soon. Thank you, boys. Finally, we have staff photographer Michael Rundle, who took pictures of Glossier. Now, Mike, for those of you who may not know, what exactly were you taking pictures of and what was this event? So Glossier is a New York-based makeup brand and beauty brand that opened a pop-up shop in the West Loop, um, and they they did this as a result of 
Chicago and the Chicagoland area being one of their most engaged markets on social media. Now, when you say engage, I mean like followers, retweets, stuff like that? Yeah, that's uh, basically who their fans are on social media, who's interacting with their tweets, who's liking their Instagram photos, um, who's participating in giveaways, things like that. Ah, fancy, fancy stuff there. So what exactly was, it was a pop-up, correct? Correct. Yeah, so it was a, it's a makeup company. It has a big market in Chicago. did a pop-up in the West Loop, you said? Yes. Yeah, take us a, a little bit more in detail what, um, I guess, was there. I'm assuming there'd be makeup stuff there. Am I correct? Yeah, you, you, are, you are correct, yes, oh. there. <laughs> um, but, no, it's just it's a short walk from the uh, Morgan Pink Line stop. Uh, the address of the store is 114 North Aberdeen. Um, but it's, it's a really cool place because they're known for – uh, their their image. Their, they basically became popular because of their branding on social media. And um, so they, they're very, very careful with how they, or how their brand is perceived amongst fans. And uh, so the store is, I believe it was built into a former firehouse. Um, so, the, so the front half of the store is uh, basically a garage door. And they painted the outside of the building white. The their their look is very simplistic. The inside of the store, the walls are white, and everything is pink accents. There's exposed brick that was already there. You know, and and I think I read an article too that said their creative director had scouted locations for a very long time. I'm, I can't tell you if it was months or years. But they knew they were going to be coming to Chicago at some point and wanted to make the perfect location for it. And I think they picked a really good neighborhood and they did a really great job um, with the interior design of the place. So there was accents of pink, exposed brick, and it was all white, with a nice garage dar- door, roomy interior. Yeah. My is sound like an episode of House Hunters. Yeah. I don't know about you, but uh, so what was going on inside the building? Was there people... I'm assuming trying on makeup or testing out the product, so to speak. Yeah, it was. Um, they had a lot of um, the the Glossier staff there in sort of their trademark pink jumpsuits they had on, and um, they were helping out customers look for products. Um, they had a wall um, that was just one big mirror, basically, that um, customers could go and try on everything they were looking at buying. Um, all of the employees were very nice, um, very willing to have photos taken, which is always nice if you're out on a photo assignment. Um, and I was speaking with some of them, and a lot of them were artists or fellow artists, uh, photographers um, that were, you know, into um, obviously makeup and kind of the art of makeup and how and everything that that involves. Um, and it was it was really cool to see um, how involved everyone was there, and um, everyone was very. It seemed to be very excited to be able to experience Glossier firsthand rather than just as a social media presence. So you you mentioned there were photographers there. Was there was there stuff on the walls? Was there photography on the walls? Like a kind of like a mini exhibit, but not really, so to speak? Was there other artwork there? Yeah, so one of the big things Glossier is doing while they're in town is collaborating with uh, some local Chicago artists that will do a good job of uh, representing 
the neighborhood and the, the West Loop area. And uh, one of the, the artists that was featured while I was there um, was uh, Dune Ivory. And uh, her work, her photography work was featured on the wall, um, which uh, it was really beautiful stuff. Um, a lot of it, the work she had featured focused on portraits of people of color. And the, they're very big, nice prints, and they, they fit the aesthetic perfectly. And it was just a really cool um, addition to the look of the whole place. Yeah, we actually do have some uh, a little bit of a Dune Ivory's interview, so let's take a listen. Happy that um, we were able to create magic together in this way and that they really trusted my vision and my creative eye um, to do what I do best. Okay, again, that was Dune Ivory, but you mentioned this was a pop-up, and pop-ups do have a tendency to uh, disappear, so to speak. So when when is this active through? When does it disappear? The pop-up, the Glossier pop-up in the West Loop will be open through October, um, so you still have plenty of time to go check it out. And I know people have been coming from everywhere, not just Chicago. When I was there, I, I met a couple people from Madison, Wisconsin that had come to town and uh, so everyone's very excited for the shop and very excited that it's, that it's going to be in Chicago for a couple months still. Now, was there uh, any, any looks you liked or anything real, real fancy, so to speak, that caught your eye? Was there any high-quality makeup there, obviously? That's what I'm getting at. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a man of culture, so to speak. <laughs> well, I, I, can, I, I can say with some confidence that I'm not the most informed person on on makeup looks and things like that and i i know one of the appeals or i what appeared to be one of the appeals was that their products weren't that expensive um it's it looks expensive but it really is not it's it, it's fairly accessible to anyone that would want to buy a glossier product and then going on and talking about the the fancy looks and um they the the way they handle their image um, is very interesting because it's such a simplistic look. Everything is white, just black text, and then just pops of color um, on in the details and things like that. So they do a really great job with their image, and it's been very successful for them. How's the uh, typography? Uh, the typography is very clean. Very clean. Very clean looks, very nice typography, and a fancy name. Unfortunately, Mike, that's about all the time I got for you here today on the podcast, so I'm going to have to let you go. But uh, you can read that story in our print edition. We do have a story with Livy DeLoyan, who went out and actually covered it with you. Uh, I guess before I let you go, who was having more fun at the event, you or, or Livy? Um, I don't know. Livy was was looking around at a lot of the products. I was kind of just taking in the whole experience, so it kind of depends. I I, th- I had a really good time just being there, being involved. Everyone was super nice. So, yeah. Well, uh, again, you can pick that story up in our print editions around campus or at ColumbiaChronicle.com. Thanks again, Mike, and I hope to speak with you soon. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. Check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, columbiachronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are CC Chronicle on Twitter and Instagram, and the Columbia Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground under the leadership of the Communication Department Chair of the Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. I've been Blaze Messa. Until next time.